You are listening to Hellcat's Hope, episode number six. Welcome to Hellcat's Hope, the podcast to find humor, healing, and hope. Come along with Hellcat as she explores ways to help you overcome adversity and find your own inner Hellcat. Yes, Hellcat is her legal middle name, and hope is her game, bringing hope to others by showing what's possible. Here's your host, law school grad, motivational speaker, author, and certified life and smoking cessation coach, Lori Hellcat Bamford. Hey, Hope Junkies. Welcome back. This is episode six. I'm Hellcat. And the reason I do this podcast is to bring a little hope and humor and healing to people's lives. I want to share what is possible in your relationships, in your own lives, in your businesses, in your community. And what I try to do in each episode is share some personal stories and practical takeaways to motivate and inspire you to find your own inner Hellcat in your day-to-day life. And so today I want to do that by talking about the original Hellcats, my mama and my grandma Bert. Now I have rated this episode explicit because there are two cuss words in it, but in all fairness, they are direct quotes. Now Hellcats Hope podcast will be a week old tomorrow and we are sitting at a about a little bit over 700 downloads. I don't really know what any of that means. I think it's good, but what I really care about is your response and your support, and it has been overwhelmingly spectacular. So thank you. I'm I'm loving all the messages I'm receiving, even from complete strangers telling me and sharing with me how these messages are reminding them about hope and reminding them about what they're capable of. So please share and subscribe if you haven't already. And then also, if you have time, if you could hop on over there and leave a rating, preferably five stars if you like it, and also leave a review. iTunes is watching. And so I'd really like to get into that new and noteworthy category, however that happens. I don't quite understand all this algorithm mumbo jumbo. I just know that we're really getting a lot of good feedback for the content, and I'm just going to keep them coming. Now, if you listen to episode one, you know the story behind my legal middle name, Hellcat. And you know, it kind of started with a thesaurus. I was at a place called the Vixen Lounge. I was seeing everybody was changing their name on Facebook to equality at the time. Marriage equality was becoming popular. This was about 10 years ago. And I thought, well, I'm going to change my name. And so I pulled up the thesaurus on my phone and I typed in the word Vixen because, you know, we were at the Vixen Lounge and the name Hellcat came up. And one of the definitions was a formidable woman. And so today I want to talk to you about two of the most formidable women I have ever had the blessing of knowing. They were the walking, living, breathing examples of healing and hope. And I've asked my family to join in. And many of them sent me their own thoughts and words on how they found hope in these two strong women throughout their lives. Each of us having a different experience and perspective because of when we were born, but all having a similar, if not identical, core value experience. And I'll be sharing those with you today. 
You know, the other evening I was making dinner with my husband, Reg, in the kitchen, and I was making my homemade hamburger patties for dinner. Now, my mama, she's my maternal grandmother, my mom's mom, she taught me how to make the most perfectly shaped hamburger patties with just the right thickness so it would cook right and not come out just like a ball of beef. So basically what you do is you lay out a flat piece of aluminum foil and you take a a ball of the seasoned hamburger patty, season it however you want, and you, you know, mush it all up and you make it into a ball and you slap it on half of the sheet of aluminum foil. Then you take the other half of the aluminum foil sheet and you fold it over on top of the beef and you mush it down, mush, mush, mush. And then when you peel back the foil, it is a perfectly shaped hamburger patty. And every single time I make homemade hamburger patties, I always think of my mama because that's just one of the things that she taught me. And I turned to my husband and I said, you know, my mama taught me how to make these. I said, I wonder what Mama would think of this podcast. Now, first, I imagine she would be mortified that I'm talking to potentially millions of people. And that coupled with the fact that it's millions of people about some pretty personal stuff. You see, Mama was a very private person. You just did not talk about these things with the public. Now, she also might echo what she said to me when I was probably around six or seven years old. Lorian. You talk a lot. And some people don't like it when people talk too much. (laughs) Yet she loved to laugh. And I told my husband, I think she would mostly laugh about all of this. And I said that was always my end game with Mama was just to make her laugh. Well, just a couple of hours later, after eating these perfectly shaped hamburger patties, I received a text from my sister, Beth. And it said, hey, I just came across this picture. Do you remember this? It was a picture of my mama, and it was at a time when she was in the nursing home, and she was sitting in a chair, and my sister Beth was on one arm of the chair, and my mom was on the other arm of the chair, and my mama was holding the receiver phone in her hand, so she had me on speakerphone, and they were all laughing hysterically. My mama looked so tickled. I have no idea what I was saying, but my mission was complete. She was laughing. I'll share the picture in the Hellcats Hope Podcast Facebook group so you can see it. But you see, I don't I don't really believe in coincidences, really. I believe that was a message from Mama letting me know that yes, she was indeed laughing about this podcast. So today I'm gonna talk about my mama. And I'm also going to talk about my grandma, Bert, my paternal grandmother, my daddy's mom. I'm going to share a few stories about them and how they exemplified healing, humor, hope, and love. My goal today is that this is going to jar your own memories of maternal or paternal mentors in your lives that led by example. And even if they are gone today, I want to show you they're still here with you. And how you can show up in that same way today. So let's get started. I want to talk about my mama first. And I'm borrowing some of this from her beautifully written obituary. You see, Margaret Jane Johnson Burkhead was born on the Johnson family farm in Weatherford, Texas on November 2nd, 1916 to James Benjamin Johnson and Willie Olivia Rich Johnson. She was the second to the youngest of nine children. The family had moved to Abilene, Texas when my mama was still in grade school. 
She graduated from Abilene High School in 1934 and moved to Dallas, Texas later that year with her older brother, Wes Johnson, and his family. And if my second cousin, Wes Johnson, is listening, hey, Wes. My second cousin, Wes, and I found each other on Ancestry.com a couple of years ago. We share the same great-grandfather, James Benjamin Johnson. The country was in the depths of the Great Depression, and to most, like my mama, who came from a rural farm or a small town, a city promised opportunity. So once in Dallas, she got a job in a tie factory and attended Drawn's Business College, hoping that it would lead to a better job. It was while working at that tie factory that she became friends with Mamie Burkhead Gray. Now, Mamie had a younger brother whom she wanted to see married to the right girl, and she sure liked my mama. So she played a little bit of matchmaker and invited my mama to come to her house for Sunday dinner to meet her baby brother, Bradford. Now, my mama declined several times because she was not, as she said, interested in anyone's brother, but she finally accepted. My mama was a beautiful and sweet young woman. And my papa, Bradford, knew a keeper when he saw one. My papa had come from a large family. He was the youngest of 13 children. And it didn't take long for all of his family to love mama almost as much as he did. On Christmas Day, 1938, my mama and papa married in San Angelo, Texas, along with mama's childhood friends Hat and Pee Wee. I love to listen to the stories about Hat and Pee Wee. As Depression-era farm children, my mama and papa grew up poor but proud, and they had dreams of a better life for their own family. My mama completed her training at Drawn's Business School in Dallas in the late 30s and began a career in banking that lasted for decades. She and my papa had my mother, Carol Ann, in 1942, shortly before my papa left to serve in the Army during World War II. So Mama and my mom lived in Abilene with family until the end of the war, and my papa came home. In 1955, they had another daughter, Linda, and the family all moved from Abilene to Dallas in 1960. And that's when Mama went to work for Preston State Bank, where she retired as an officer in 1981. My papa died from cancer in the summer of 1971. I was just a baby, and so I don't have any memories of my papa, but I love to hear my older brother and sister, Mike and Julie, share those memories. And boy, do they have some great ones. Often encouraged to date and possibly marry again, I can remember my mama always said, listen, I had the best and I won't settle for second. My mama was survived by her two daughters, 12 grandchildren, 28 great-grandchildren, and three great-great-grandchildren. She truly left behind a legacy of grace, generosity, and love. So can you just for a minute imagine growing up in the Great Depression, one of nine children, one of whom died from a football injury in high school? My mama was no stranger to loss. And to be a young mom and to see her husband, my papa, serve in the Army during World War II, widowed, and an officer with her bank, and then helping raise 12 grandchildren. My mom and dad were absolutely doing the best they could, but my mama and my grandma Bert stood in the gap. And mama helped raise us, as you can imagine, 11 kids. As my brother Mike pointed out, mama helped keep our exceptionally large family out of poverty and kept us afloat. My sister Jennifer recalled mama taking us school clothes shopping every year, all of us. Can you imagine 
school clothes shopping for 11 kids. Mama would help get my instruments so that I could be in the band all through school. She was also always taking us kids somewhere to school or other events. There's one story that my mama loved to tell for years and years and years. It was at a time when uh, the oldest two, Mike and Julie, were going to Christ the King School. I imagine she was, you know, trying to get them to school and then get to her job at Preston State Bank. And so rumor has it, she would always be in a hurry. And she loves this story she used to tell. She would say Julie would be in the back seat. And let me tell you, my sister Julie, she's not a morning person. She's just not. And that's okay. But you see, Julie was in the back seat and Mama's trying to get everybody where they need to be. And Mama said she hears this mumble from the back seat. And Julie said, watch out, everybody. Here comes Mama. (laughs) Another thing pointed out by my sister Jennifer, she said, we never left empty handed. Mama always had something for us, a cert, a mint. And then we loved how she would always pretend to put our lipstick on. She would take her lipstick out of her purse and without taking the cap off, she would gently hold your chin in her hand and act like she was very delicately freshening up your lipstick. It truly took a village, and Mama was our hero. My sister Julie described Mama as the protector, the provider. And what I found so interesting and not surprising is the overwhelming common theme and response from all of my siblings and my mom when we think about Mama and this concept of hope. In one collective voice, they would all say, she gave unconditional love and generosity and 100% believed in each and every single one of us. When we did well, she celebrated us. And when we stumbled, she helped dust us off and pick us right back up. There was no judgment. She truly was the example of unconditional love. And what I noticed is all of us have said the same thing. She always believed in me. Mama was always present. She loved football. Even when it got to where she couldn't travel anymore to my older brother's games, she would listen on the radio feed. And of course, Mike would always give a shout out to Mama, his hero. And he and Julie lay special claim to being in her life the longest and her and theirs for over half a century. What a blessing. Now, Mama was also a worrier. I can remember so many conversations where I would come home for college and we would sit down and we would run through each sibling. She would start at the top and go all the way down. Where they were, what they were doing, what's the last that she heard? Do you think they're okay? She always wanted to make sure everyone was going to get a good job with benefits. Now, my memories, again, if you haven't listened to episode one yet, I grew up one of 11 kids, six girls, five boys, Mike, Julie, Lori, Jennifer, Elizabeth, Erica, Bubba, Matthew, John, Mark, and Rebecca. Bubba, yes. We have a Bubba. Now, his real name is Kenneth after my dad, but he was the first boy after five girls. And my brother, Mike, was thrilled. And from then on, he was Bubba. You know, Mama would be over at the house and for a birthday party or a holiday. And, and, you know, after the meal and things would start to wind down, that's when the negotiations and maneuvering would begin. You see, I was the third oldest, so I was a little bit ahead of the game here. And I knew when she was about to leave. And so I would start asking five million times, Mama, can I come spend the night with you? Hey, Mom, can I go spend the night with Mama, please? And I think I would just beat them down. They'd be like, okay, fine. 
And if you got to go spend the night with Mama, man, you hit the jackpot. She had the best sheets and towels. Her beds were perfectly made and you didn't have to share anything. Most importantly, her attention. I can smell her apartment right now as I'm even talking about it. You could walk into her bathroom and you'd smell the classic combination of Dove soap, oil of Olay, and Woolite from the hand washing of her delicates that were hanging on the blow-up hangers in the shower. She made the best sandwiches. She had the best snacks. We would have Totino's pizza and then a couple of scoops of vanilla ice cream with chocolate syrup or an apple turnover for dessert. I never slept as good as when I slept at Mama's house. The only time I ever saw or thought she may have been angry or annoyed is when my mom and dad would announce another pregnancy. I can remember my mom saying, my mother's going to kill me. And at that young age, I remember thinking, why in the world would mama be mad about this? It's a new baby. I mean, that's just what we were used to. We were getting a new baby about once a year. I was just a kid. I didn't know that it was hard on her too. But mama never complained. She would say this, however, I love all you kids and I wouldn't take a million dollars for any one of you but I wouldn't give a dime for another one. And here was probably her best unique talent. She had the amazing gift to make you feel like you were her favorite. She made us all feel special in our own right. You know, it was during the summers and on breaks, I would go back to my job at Burger King there on Josie Lane in Carrollton, Texas. I would make as much money as I could and spend all summer telling management I was not going to go to manager school. I was going to law school. And I was always the 6 a.m. shift. I was the queen of the drive through And so every summer and every college break, I would come and I would live with Mama. And Mama would wake me up each morning around 4.30 with a glass of orange juice in what used to be a fruit preserves jar that she would reuse as a juice glass. And then about 10 to 15 minutes later, she would bring me a fresh cup of coffee. And she'd ask me if I was hungry. And if I was, she'd make me breakfast or a piece of toast. I had it made. She would then drop me off and go back home and get ready for her own day. I would walk home in the afternoons after my shift. We would have dinner together, watch Wheel of Fortune, yell at the news, and go to bed. She would always say, Lorianne, don't believe anything you hear and only half of what you see. And it would all start over the next day. She was so kind to my friends that would visit during the summers and my new college boyfriend, Tom. Aaron and Sarah's dad, and we would go out of a weekend night and not feel too hot the next day, and we'd share all our stories with her, and she would just laugh, and she would say, honey, I feel for you. I just can't quite reach you. Mama and I were both morning people, clearly. We were a good fit. We were great roommates. She would drop me off at 545 and watch me bebop right into the restaurant. One morning, the guy running the kitchen looked like he was having a rough morning. And I tried to make small talk and maybe cheer him up a little bit because, you know, that's what us morning people do. I can hear your eyes rolling from all you non-morning people out there. It's all right. So he looked at me over that fry bin and he said, get your happy ass away from me. Duly noted, I went back to my register. I don't think he had a mama that was bringing him juice, coffee, and toast of the morning. And, you know, my mama was an activist. I think that's where I got part of my passion for social activist issues. Now, her passion were smokers' rights. 
<laughs> she quit probably 20 years before she died. But I have lots of memories of sitting around that table and her and her sisters and family gossiping and smoking and drinking coffee. I used to love to get her cigarette case and just smell them. I may have snuck a cigarette or two over the years also, allegedly. And Mama was a great storyteller, though she would always say how terribly and painfully shy she was growing up and even as an adult, but you would never know it. She was engaging and vibrant, a true treasure. And the only time I heard my Mama cuss was when she was talking about Jerry Jones. The first time I introduced my husband Reg to her, we started talking about the Dallas Cowboys and she said, that Jerry Jones is a real ass. I would live with mom all the summer before college and all the college breaks. And when she was in the nursing home and before her dementia got worse, we would talk about all these days and memories. And she would say to me, we sure had a good time. And that we did, mom. We sure had a good time. Mom lived to be just over 100 years old. And we are so grateful for her. Now I'd like to share some stories about Grandma Burt, my daddy's mom. Annabelle Ling Burt was born July 18, 1924, in Ardmore, Oklahoma, the fifth child of Henry and Iota Ling. My grandma attended St. Joseph's Catholic High School and was a founding and lifelong member of Mary Immaculate Catholic Church in Farmer's Branch since 1956. And I can remember, if those church doors were open, Grandma Burt was there. Her husband, my grandpa, died from a brain hemorrhage in 1971 when I, again, was just a year old, leaving my grandma a young widow in her mid-40s to raise eight children, five of which were still at home, ranging in ages from five to 15. Can you imagine widowed and raising five children alone in the early 70s? In all, my grandma Bert had 26 grandchildren and my amazing Aunt Jo her daughter, my daddy's sister. By Aunt Jo's last count, I asked her last night, there are 95 descendants. That is part of my Grandma Bert's legacy. But again, it is more than just a number. My Grandma Bert was the walking, breathing, living definition of hope. She had a brief but difficult struggle with cancer passing away at the age of 79. My sister Julie described Grandma Bert as courageous and loyal to her family. Many of our memories are running into Grandma Bert's house and the smells of cooking in the kitchen. She was the best cook. I credit her with my Catholic faith. If the church doors were open, she was there, and Grandma was steadfast in her faith, always. She never wavered, no matter how she may have been bullied to go a different direction. I always admired her for that. She was a cook at the daycare my parents tried to put me in. And I say try because I think I was asked to leave. I would scream my head off and cry. And I learned that when I did that, they would take me to my grandma, Bert, who worked in the kitchen. I remember grandma's house and driving there on holidays at Thanksgiving and Christmas. Now, mind you, with 11 kids and two adults, we always had to take two or three cars. And I can remember driving there. And we all share these same stories of people counting us along the highway. People would drive by and you can see them counting us in the station wagon. One, two, three, four, five. I can remember the smells of Grandma Bert's house, the kitchen, the playroom. All of us have these same memories. All the cousins. I remember my Uncle Arthur Ray teasing me about that scary room down the long, dark hall. I think he just wanted me to stay out of it. But I would see how fast I could run by that room. And I remember the guest bathroom, all blue tile. I remember the tall trash bag that would gather all the trash from these massive family gatherings. 
And it's funny how we all remember the treat of getting a cold Pepsi out of the fridge and a dollar for her good grades. Again, you never left empty-handed, ever. Her generous and ever-present spirit was so admirable, considering her own struggles. Our oldest brother, Mike, had great memories, too. He is very close in age to Grandma's youngest son, our Uncle Jimmy, and they were best friends. They had a blast. They argued and fussed, but they were thick as thieves. They served as altar boys together. Now, one day, I think they took their faith to a whole new level. You see, at this time, it was the early 70s. At that time, we were living in an apartment complex in Dallas, and it was shaped in a square so that that the apartment doors and balconies overlooked a huge courtyard area. Well, one day, my mother gets a call. The neighbor says, um, you might want to check on your son and nephew. They are reenacting the crucifixion in the courtyard. And sure enough, there was Mike. They had made this cross. Mike was dragging it. And Jim was behind him, whipping him with a stick. Oh. But here was Grandma Burt's true gift, among many. When you would walk in the room, she would light up. And I talked about this in the last episode, number five, where I was talking about Oprah's podcast where she was sharing a story about the importance of when your children walk in the room to light up, that that is a way of letting them know that they are heard and they are seen. Again, you're making them feel like they are the most important person in the room and in your life. And she did that every single time. She would light up. And though we didn't get to see her as often, she was present. She would send cards. And when we did get to see her, she made the most of every minute. We knew without a doubt she always loved us and adored us, even up until the very end. And her love is present today. She is with us today. You know, when my dad was dying in 2017, he was on hospice and and just had maybe 24 hours left. And so we were all there. And I kept hearing my grandma Bert's voice. You need to call a priest. You need to call a priest. And I'm thinking, Grandma, I, I don't know about that. You see, our family is all sorts of different faiths now. We have still have some Catholics and Baptists and non-denominationals. And I, I just kept thinking, I don't know. I don't want to offend anybody. I don't want to make it all weird. But I just kept hearing her voice. Lori, need to get a priest over here. Very stern. And I just kind of kept ignoring it. Well, I had gone to the restroom and in this particular restroom, it was just a one stall restroom and I got out and I was washing my hands. And again, grandma's voice need to get a priest. I said, and out loud, I said, grandma, just, just give me a minute. Let me just, let me think about this. And I walk out the bathroom door and the nurse's station, they're looking at me like I'm crazy because they can hear me and they're talking to myself. And so I start to walk down the hall and here comes my Aunt Ruth and she stops me and she puts her hands on my shoulders and she says, now I don't want to cause any trouble, but we should probably call a priest. So I said, fine. Okay, we'll do it. And so it was a Saturday. And so trying to find a priest was a little tricky in the small town of Gainesville, Texas, but we found one. And so my father was able to have the last sacrament. So what are the lessons in all this? What are the lessons that we can take away and think about when we think about people like Mama Burkhead and Grandma Burt? Here are a couple of things I came up with. Don't let people leave empty-handed. Offer them a cold Pepsi out of the fridge or a cert or a dollar for their good grades. Number two, even if you can't be with them, be present. Send a card, make a phone call, 
With the way technology is today, you can FaceTime call, but it is also nice to send a card in the mail. But most importantly, something you can do when someone walks in the room, especially children, light up the entire room and let them know how happy you are to see them. Number three, find faith in something. Number four, stand in the gap. When you see people struggling, stand in the gap and hold that space for them like they did for my parents and my family. Number five, show people you believe in them, especially when they don't believe in themselves. Number six, be slow to anger. Number seven, learn from the stories that you hear. My brother Mark shared his perspective. He said, I was very fortunate to see and hear their life lessons and adopt a mechanical side of hope. A side that when life hands you more than you think you can handle, you put that on your back and you keep climbing. You do not let any single circumstance be the excuse to drag you down, but to push you forward, to keep climbing. And finally, I want to talk about have hope in parenting. My brother John shared his comments about parenting and how terrifying it is sometimes to be a parent. Many times, I describe parenting and I've heard it this way. It's like a piece of your heart is outside of yourself walking around all willy nilly, walking into traffic, not looking before crossing the street, thinking it's all invincible. And John pointed out, he is sure that Mama and Grandma Bert's patience had to be tested with our parents and all these kids, but they always responded in unconditional love. My brother John writes, my boys constantly test my patience and have me thinking, Prison can't be that bad. And when he thinks that thought out loud, the boys kind of look at him funny. He said, I've learned that every day parenting is a blessing. Mama and grandma showed me hope in parenting by hurting when their child hurts, praising when their child is joyous, forgiving when their child makes mistakes, and loving regardless of the circumstances. Thank you for that, John. And if, like me, these beautiful souls that maybe you're thinking of today are no longer here, Remember, their hope for you didn't die with them. I can remember when my mama died and I said out loud, who is ever going to believe in me like my mama did? But I learned that I can. I can believe in me like mama did and like grandma Bert did. Believe in yourself like other people do. Think back to a time when someone introduced you. I can think back to times when my mama and grandma Bert would be talking about me or introducing me or any of my siblings, and they would just have memorized the long list of all of the amazing things that they had accomplished and were accomplishing and all the lovely traits about them. And I encourage you to start thinking about yourself in those terms. Think about how people introduce you and how can you talk to yourself and believe in yourself in that way. When you wonder if you can get through any struggle you may be going through, think of their example. Again, this is not to minimize your struggle, but to walk in that path they set before you were even around. It's in your genetics. They survived the Great Depression, war, loss, raising children as young widows, raising children alone while their husbands were off at war, while their own children were serving their country at war. My sister Beth echoed this sentiment and that it gives her hope and knows that if they can do it, she can do it while her son Dagan is serving his country. Yes, it's in your genes. It's a part of your genetics. You've got that going for you. You just got to tap into it is all. Tap in to that own inner hellcat. I often pray the following, at least once a day, 
May I be present in my body, heart, and mind, so that I may be filled with light, energy, and hope for the benefit of others. That is who Mama and Grandma Bert were. They were present, and they were a source of light, hope, and energy for the benefit of others. And that is why you can and I can show up in that way every day. Thank you for letting me share these stories about these original Hellcats. And I hope maybe it just has jarred your memories about the strong role models and mentors in your life. And what better way to honor them by living in the ways of hope that they showed you. Thanks for listening. See you next time. Thank you so much for listening to Hellcats Hope. And if you like what you heard, please subscribe. To book me as a speaker for your next event, work one-on-one as a coach, or find more information on my upcoming book, please go to whatthehellcat.com. Thanks for listening.